On IT Visionaries, we talk a lot about security, but we mostly talk about cybersecurity and making sure that your networks are protected from cyber criminals. What we don't really talk about are in the flesh, actual criminals, and how technology is helping to keep them out of your home. But what is the value of home security? Is it being able to constantly check your front door to see if a package has arrived? Is it the calmness that comes with being notified that there's movement in your driveway? Or is it simply the peace of mind that you get when you know that if something goes wrong, you'll know it? In 2014, Ring did something no other company had done and gave homeowners a sense of security by providing 24-7 views of their front door. Jamie always had a mission around how to create a better layer of security for people to always be home. Our slogan, always home. And what that did was allow people to either answer the door comfortably from their phone, whether they actually wanted to go to the door, or if you weren't home, at least give the perception that you were home. And DoorBot was really an amazing product to start with. Over the last seven years, Ring has built a business from doorbells to an entire smart home that is accessible to everyday homeowners. Josh Roth is the CTO at Ring, and it's his responsibility to build an ecosystem that gives those homeowners some peace of mind. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Josh discusses how Ring went from a startup trying to find product market fit to an Amazon acquisition that now sells hundreds of thousands of security and smart devices every month. Enjoy. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the CTO of Ring, Josh Roth. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Albert. Thanks for having me. All right. I feel like everyone knows what a ring is, but for those who don't know what a ring is, please tell us what is Ring? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Ring is a security company, really, first and foremost. And, you know, the product that I'd say people are most aware of is the Ring Video Doorbell. It was the first product that we came out with back in 2014. And since then, we've obviously enhanced what we offer. So we have now Ring security cameras and we have Ring lights and we have a Ring alarm system uh, with integrations with a lot of different products. But high level, we are, you know, first and foremost, sort of the eyes and ears at your front door. Uh, so that you can answer your phone from anywhere and see who's at your front door, creating sort of this first ring of security. Gotcha. And I'm curious about, so I'm going to let people know and I'll let you know, I'm one of the few people who does not have a ring. I feel like <laughs> I don't have one yet. Well, you got to change that, obviously. I 100%, I know what they are, but I want us to talk a little, you know, one of the things I really want to talk with you about is some of the technology that goes into it. Obviously, the amount of data it creates the convenience it creates, because this is one of those things where, you know, I, I tend to tell our audience, like, even though I'm in a host of a podcast about technology, I'm actually a slow adopter of technology. I kind of let people play with it first. And then, you know, I see if it's good or not good. And I would try to figure out from there, you know, I want to walk our audience back. When you first came to Ring, was it going to always be, like, I guess, the vision for the product? Talk about what brought you over to say, like, hey, I want to join this company. I want to help develop this product because you've had really cool roles prior to joining Ring. What did you see in regards to the future of how security, home security was going to look that made you say, yeah, this is going to be something that's going to be really exceptional? Sure. That's a great question. So, you know, high level, when I came on board, uh, Jamie, who's our CEO, had just done sort of the original product called DoorBot. He had gone on Shark Tank, for those not familiar. 
and actually did not take a deal. Uh, but Shark Tank was a sort of phenomenal kickstart, if you will, to the product and the product vision. Jamie always had a mission uh, around how to create a better layer of security for people to always be home. That's which is kind of our, our, our slogan, always home. Uh, and what that did was allow people to either answer the door comfortably from their phone, whether they actually wanted to go to the door, uh, or you know, if you weren't home, at least give the perception that you were home. And DoorBot was really an amazing product to start with, and it evolved into Ring as we changed uh, sort of what the technology was about, as well as obviously we're, we're lucky enough to be able to uh, get that brand. And so that's where it really began. What I can tell you for myself was, you know, Jamie and I had a company in 2007, 2008 together. It was a previous business. It was called unsubscribe.com. We had worked together before and actually known each other for about eight years before that. So I think we met in the early 2000s uh, when we were both doing completely different things. We were both in the telco space. And, you know, Jamie and I started a new business with unsubscribe. We ultimately were very fortunate and sold that business. And Jamie went off to literally his garage and started working on some ideas. Uh, and I went off to work on a couple other things. I was in sort of the e-com world for a handful of years. Uh, doing e-commerce for about 40, 50 different brands. Jamie went off to the garage and started inventing things. And one of the things that came up while he was there was, was, hey, we can't hear the delivery guy from Amazon, the pizza company, whatever it is, at the front door when we're in the garage. And so he started looking on the internet for a Wi-Fi doorbell, really, is all he wanted, and nothing existed. And so he basically said to his, him and his guys that are working on stuff, hey, let's go invent something new just for our own use. And so they started doing this. And of course, like, like most innovation, you kind of stumble upon it. Most of it isn't really set out to like go build these massive companies. And this was a great example of that. So they built something and all of Jamie's stuff that he was working on, people would come in and see the sort of video doorbell, if you will, and get most excited by that, even though it wasn't a product they were sort of chasing. <laughs> and, and yeah. And so from that, Jamie started doing a lot of sort of assessment around uh, the safety and security aspect of it. And what he found with his wife was that she was actually, she loved the safety aspect. She loved that when Jamie was out of town, she felt more secure in her home, knowing that she could answer the front door from her phone. So then over time, when I started getting involved, both as a friend with Jamie, so first he showed me the original DoorBot stuff and then started asking me a lot of questions about coming on board. I started literally jumping in and looking at not just the technology side, but more interesting to me was who was interested in the product? Who are the people that were buying this thing from Brookstone? Who are the people that were buying it in the shopping catalog on airplanes? Who are the people coming to the website? And what, what really excited me was it was not just the early adopters. It wasn't just the Silicon Valley elite. Um, that were trying new products, but it was the laggards, right? The late adopters. And, and I guess, Albert, that's you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're, you're the late, late adopter, which is great. And, and so what we found was it was, it was the single mom in, in Nebraska. It was the 80-year-old the veteran who was in a wheelchair and couldn't sort of get to the door fast enough, you know, in Virginia. It was, you know, a, a multitude of people. And then it was also some worldwide people. We saw people all over the world, like grabbing this thing that thought it was super interesting and making their lives easier. And so I started looking at it from that angle. And that was one of the things that excited me. The other thing that excited me, and this is, I guess, a personal preference, is once I started trying the products out, I'm a big believer in products that are not out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind products are very difficult to get consumer adoption on. 
And so one thing that you'll notice with Ring once you ever do get one is we are definitely not out of sight, out of mind. We tell you about motions at your front door. We tell you about the doorbell press. You know when the delivery is happening. You know if your dogs run outside. And obviously from the safety and security side, we know if there's something happening when it shouldn't be. And so you are sort of constantly aware of these things that you might not have been normally in the normal world. And so to me, that was like the light bulb going off over my head, which was, you know, oh my gosh, we have this product that, you know, people are going to be aware of all the time. And because of that, they're going to love it. And so that was really the one that pushed me over the edge. And this is one of those things where it feels like it's a type of product that should be clearly obvious that should have been created because for example, like in New York or any other high rise, what do you have? You have an intercom system that allows you to talk and potentially see whoever's at the front door. Like this is already available, but it wasn't available to consumers that just had a house. So it's interesting that, you know, it's like one of those things that was clearly obvious, like anyone could have come up with this idea, but you guys, obviously Jamie and your team acted on it. I'm curious for you, you know, did you see it becoming the software solution that it is today when you joined? Because when you joined, I don't know, was it more of a hardware solution or did you, did you were you nervous about that? Because I know your background's in comp sci, were you like, oh, well, I don't know that much about mechanical engineering. Or were you thinking to yourself already like, hey, if we can record all this information and move it to a storage system somewhere, we'll really help protect people's homes. Were you already thinking like that down the road or uh, were you just more interested in like, okay, I, I, mean, I guess I'm just curious, like, what were you thinking, how the product was going to evolve? I think there's a couple of things there. For one, just let me correct you. I'm actually computer science and engineering. So I, I do have electrical engineering degree background. I, I, had, I had done some soldering on my uh, old Game Boys and things along the way and built stuff. Oh, my bad. <laughs> but that being said, the software side is definitely where, uh, you know, we saw the largest growth. I think, I think our approach to hardware was different than most consumer electronic companies. Typically, you'll go if you're a, I don't know, a widget maker, a headphone maker, or whatever it is, a, a microphone maker, you know, you try to go make product margin on that product. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, you make something at a wholesale price, you sell it to the retail for that wholesale. Sorry, you make it for a manufacturing price, some sort of you know, bill of materials, you sell it at wholesale, and then there's a retail price on it. You hope to make enough of a margin to build a sustainable business. I think that Jamie and I looked at that business very differently which was how do we sell something at either a low margin or even a break even or potentially a loss margin to gain customer? And then how do we give enough value to that customer through software services that they're willing to pay us a subscription fee over time? Um, And so that's where video storage comes into play. That's where advanced computer vision comes into play. That's where a handful of other features come into play that now give you sort of that stickiness of a customer and so I think we, we obviously looked at other industries and where that worked, but we wanted to get that to a point where the, the revenue margin of what we'd gained by selling a product wasn't the important piece for us. It was right. recurring revenue so that we could have a long-term customer and we could build real value. So, you know, that's everything you just alluded to. So when we set out, I mean, of course we had to make, you have to make the hardware work. Like that's the first thing that is, is very hard. I mean, and I know this is like the old cliche, but hardware is hard. It is much harder than software. I'm not going to say software is easy. Software is not easy by any means. I run software now. I don't even really run hardware anymore. (laughs) But hardware is very difficult because it has to work. And like any other thing, it does have defects. It has flaws. Chips sometimes have problems. Batteries are hard. Wi-Fi is hard. Connectivity is hard. When you have stucco on a wall versus brick versus something else, it makes it really hard for Wi-Fi. So there's so many things like against you on hardware. And so definitely it was around the services. 
I wish I could sit here and tell you, like I could, I, I foresaw seven years later, we'd be building, you know, the sidewalk network with Amazon and we'd be acquired and, you know, we'd have smart lighting and an alarm system. Like, I think we knew that we had something. I don't think we necessarily could see seven to 10 years out that, Hey, this is where we're going to be. Now, look, Jamie, if he was on here, might laugh and argue and say, Josh, I knew, I just didn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's true. Um, I can tell you from my side, it was, how do we build reusable components? How do we build things that scale? How do we build things you can plug in new systems and architecture to? Uh, but I didn't always know necessarily where we were driving to. I'd be lying if I said I did. You know, one of the things that you kind of alluded to in regards to like that early user adoption, you know, you've been there for the growth cycle. One of the challenges of hardware, in my opinion, is if it requires any type of implementation or installation that is beyond a skill set or expertise of a normal person, that becomes even further harder to do. So I'll give you an example. I have actually changed a doorbell. I know that you have to dismount it. There's a little wiring involved. It's pretty easy, but we also know that even a step can be dissuading for some people, right? Most people do not implement and install their own fixtures, their own stuff in their house, right? It's the DIY market's a much smaller market than someone, please, I'll pay you to come and do this for me. When you guys first started, was that a problem? Was that a barrier to get adoptions? Like, because I mean, it's replacing a doorbell, so it has to be wired in, it needs a power source, like where people questioning how long it could stay active. Like I'm sure there's a lot of questions and rebuttals that, and you know, when it comes to the, at retail, I don't know, maybe some people study the package a lot, but most people can't from a package clearly tell how easy it is to use. You know what I mean? Like they look at it like, oh, I don't know what this is. Yeah, for sure. Look, I think, you know, we started our, our first product was a battery product for that exact reason. Yeah. You know, wiring is scary to people. And even more, even if it's low voltage wiring that has like, you know, you can stick your tongue on it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. People don't know that. People don't know that. So, yeah, the first product was a battery product. And, you know, it's funny in hindsight, you know, if you'd ever used the first product, you literally had to unscrew it to even charge it. Yeah. You didn't have wiring. It's not every house actually has wiring. A lot of houses don't. Or the wiring's old, right? Or it's corroded when you go look at it. And so obviously over time, we changed that to swap out the battery pack on the battery device. And then we came out with powered products. Um, and the challenge on the powered products was you have either a, you know, high voltage lines or low voltage lines. You have fear. Um, and so we definitely tried to make it as simple as possible with good instructions, lots of videos. But I think where we we erred on the side that ended up working out really well for us was from day one, we've been extremely customer focused and customer obsessed. And so we built up a very robust but super knowledgeable customer service team. And we took that to heart. I mean, you know, Jamie as the CEO literally had his office next to the CS place. So we could hear what was going on. My office was literally right next to it as well. And so there was like just so much customer-driven, uh, I don't want to call it development, but customer-driven sort of approach to things that we did. And there still is today. I'll kind of anecdotally tell you sort of a funny story. And Jamie, I'm sure, would have his own equivalent of these. But, you know, we're so customer-obsessed. And I think it's how you drive these products that, you know, there were times I would, you know, get my next door feed coming through and I'd see a customer be like, oh, my ring's not working very well. And if I saw they lived in the LA area... I would message them and say, hey, I'm the CTO of Ring. Uh, you know, I'd love to come and help you fix that. And the reason wasn't just because I wanted that one customer to be happy. It was because if I can solve a customer's problem, I can probably solve thousands of customers' problems. Yeah. And it helped us then, to your exact point, figure out where are the flaws in our setup process? How can we improve our setup process? How do we make sure our CS agents are more knowledgeable? Where's the workflows we need to put for self-help? 
where's the installer network we need to put in place over the long haul? Because you're exactly right. There's plenty of people that would rather pay, you know, the $45 to have someone come to their house and do the wiring versus doing it themselves, whether out of reality or fear. Yeah. And then obviously along the way, there's all sorts of challenges that you come up against. Um, you know, surprisingly or not surprisingly, a lot of people don't know their own Wi-Fi password on their network, which makes perfect sense, right? Because yeah, they, they, they did it one time and they never touched it since. That's exactly right. And so you get these calls. So now you got to think about, okay, how do you improve that? How do you use Bluetooth where it's appropriate? Do people know how to use Bluetooth? And you have such a large gap of, of user base. Our user base ranges from, you know, sort of teenagers on up to, like I said, 80 plus year olds. And so, and everything in between. So it's not just the, the technically literate. So you have to come out with products and, and ways of doing things that are super simple. And I, I think we've succeeded, but I would never tell you that we stopped trying to improve that. And I think that's just sort of a, yeah. that's in our culture. That's who we're about, which is like, we're never satisfied. Every time I go set up a product, I'm like, God, I hate this piece of something. Yeah. And so, you know, and that's just sort of constant dissatisfaction, I guess, is what you get to with a lot of what you stuff you build. But that's how you innovate, right? If we always get became complacent or satisfied with what we had, then we would be stuck with the original doorbell. And I think we never would have become a big company. Yeah. What was the reaction when you first told people, hey, listen, I'm going to join Jamie over at Ring. He's got this digital camera doorbell thing. And were people looking at you like, Dude, why would was anyone need an IoT doorbell? Like, why, why is this necessary? Not really. Well, I don't even know who those people would be. I don't know that I talked to enough people to give me any feedback that way. But um, <laughs> as, a, as a CTO, I'm both social and antisocial. But, you know, I, I think the questions that I got more were like, hey, you partnered with Jamie before, you know, and you guys built something and sold it. And like, you know, is this the right partnership again? Yeah. I think those questions came up. I actually don't think I had a tremendous amount of people asking me about sort of the why. Interestingly, I think people got it. But what I'll tell you is I had a, like, I just, anything with my parents would be sort of the big thing for me. It was never like them questioning the why. They always trusted my decisions around those things. But I never would give them the product until I thought it was good enough. Oh. Yeah. And, and that, I think that goes back to being sort of like, once you're the tech person in the household, you know, and all of a sudden I get the phone calls to like do everything from fix their printer to like, how do you set the VCR clock when those used to exist? And, <laughs> and like, I, I guess I wish I'd invented Geek Squad and I didn't. They did. They did. And they did the right thing there. But, you know, so I think that that was one of those things was like, I don't want to give my parents a product that they're going to be calling customer service about. I want to make sure this product is amazing so that they know I know when they get it, they're not going to call me every week. And so, you know, luckily we got to that point. My family has lots of our products um, and they and they love them and they send me, you know, send me videos of stuff happening at their house all the time. So it's, it's great. Yeah. And, the, uh, and to that point, when did you, I guess, give them one? How many versions after you uh, had originally got there? Yeah, the, the first version, the doorbell, I mean, sort of, I'd have to, it's hard to kind of quantify, but we went through a couple of hardware iterations that were still classified right. the first version of the doorbell. So I'd say probably by the second or third iteration of the hardware, I felt comfortable. That's good. And part of that was also my own testing. Like, I, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm our biggest guinea pig in the company. I'll take anything and put it anywhere in my house and play with it. I mean, my desk is littered with cameras, <laughs> you know, and not plugged in. This one's just sitting here. But so, you know, but it had to get to a point again where I just didn't want them like I didn't want it falling off the Wi-Fi. I want to, to make sure we understood where the things were failing and why in certain households and certain situations to be able to be able to point that I was comfortable with it. And so it was months, it was, you know, many months into me starting at the company that I felt comfortable with that. 
and then as we became, you know, started coming out with newer products, the the one I'll, uh, that I point to the most is sort of our floodlight cam to me was sort of an interesting sort of precipice for us as a company where I felt that we crossed from just being a doorbell company because we had a couple different doorbells and we had our chimes and things, but the floodlight cam to me was like our real intro into what I would say became more than just a doorbell company. Yeah. It's one of our, it's one of my favorite products. It's one of our, our best-selling products. Our customers truly love the product. And it, it like just makes sense. It's like, if you had a floodlight on your house, that was a motion activated floodlight, like, okay, this does that, but it also records. It also has a siren that you can set off if something's there. And the places those are located give you that extra level of security. So they're usually on the garage or they're on the two sides of your house. Right. Yeah. We have one in our backyard or in the alley behind the house. Exactly. And so like those things ended up just sort of being that leapfrog forward for us on entry into really the real security nuts and bolts of the system. I think that the doorbell is where it starts because it's sort of the, I don't want to call it the easy entry point, but it's sort of the first one where people get excited about it. Um, and you can show your friends at dinner. You're like, Oh, look, there's my kid coming home from school or, you know, Hey, here's the guy delivering food when I'm out to dinner. And so I think that's fun, but I think the other one was like, hey, what's that thing happening over on the side of my house and why? And so all of a sudden it gave you a different sort of view of, of the same system that we'd built. Now, this is one of those things where, you know, Ring has transformed, I would say it's transformed neighborhood security. Like I legitimately believe our neighborhood is safer because so many people have it. And it's gotten to the point where people, I believe that it, there's been a culture shift where I don't know. Growing up, I remember my mom and dad much more concerned about bad actors coming to our house and doing something, I feel like. But like I'm a parent now. I don't feel nearly as maybe I'm lying to myself and feeling overly confident. But it does feel like because because there's a couple things that are happening. Right. Number one, the adoption of security camera systems like Ring has increased, but then also the social proliferation of like platforms like you already hit on it next door where people are like, hey, who is this? Our mission statement as a company, which is also I think core to our success is is really making neighborhoods safer. Yeah. It's an unending goal. I mean, the good, the good news slash bad news, I guess, is yes, we have a massive impact, but I would also tell you that most criminals are not that smart. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're they're not they're not the the movies you see where it's the the art thief cutting your cable line, your telephone line and then spray painting the camera like that's not real. Yeah. And so, you know, the reality is, is we have a very positive impact on crime rates, on package theft, on a number of items. Yeah. But our work isn't done. Like we will forever be trying to solve those problems. And on the other side of it, you know, we have programs in place also where we help to try to remediate those, those things. You know, we don't, we don't want people in jail. We don't want people incarcerated. We want people to be rehabilitated and be able to be part of society and do positive things. And so, you know, ring ring does try to do both sides of these things. We're not just trying to catch people. And then on the other side, you know, we've changed other pieces of this. I, I tell this story you know, I have a, I, I mentioned my 13 year old daughter. I also have an older daughter uh, who's 23. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I, when, when she was, I guess, probably 17 or 18, I remember right when I installed the floodlight cam, you know, there was a, I have a video of her walking by that sort of out by my trash area, walking by there, turning to her friend and saying, I think this is the only place I can still sneak in and out of the house. <laughs> she didn't know I had it on video. It was sort of the end all, like we've, we've ruined kids' lives in a funny way too. They just can't sneak in out of houses. And that's sort of the funny side of it with regards to parenting. So, you know, as you have expanded your market penetration, of course, 
that's always going to bring competition, right? People want to create products and services like yours. The home security companies themselves, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they're, they're in the game too. They have to be in the game. And, you know, you talked about the security, the usability, you know, so what do you think in your mind, what are some of the things, you know, service centric usability, what are some of the things you think be, beyond that, that have really helped you guys innovate, design products, features that are keep you, you know, in front or at the top of the consideration set, because, you know, this market's not going to stop, in my opinion, right? There's going to be more entry players into this market to try to compete with Ring. Yeah. You know, I, I would say we're not blind to competition, but we don't, we don't really target ourselves relative to competition. Clearly, I mean, look, I, I, I've, I've tried everything in the market. Sure. And we've assessed everything in the market. But, you know, we do that from a, hey, what are they doing really well perspective? so that we can improve. It's not a, hey, we're better than them at this or this. Um, it's usually right. more around like being self-critical of yourself and seeing what you as a company can improve upon. So I would say, first and foremost, that we don't really focus on competition. I know everyone says that, but we really don't. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, we believe, and if we go build a great product that we love and we listen to our customers' requests and, and what we're seeing their pain points are, and we can deliver on those actionably, then I think we believe that we will continue to be a leader in the market space. And so I'm not gonna say to you that every product we come out with wins. Uh, not every product that we build is the right product market fit. We sometimes are wrong. I think with the acquisition of Amazon of Ring uh, three years ago, what that allowed us to do was take more shots. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, now you've got sort of more gas on the fire, more fuel for that fire behind you to allow you to to be wrong sometimes and hopefully be right more often. And luckily, we've been right more often. I think that's one piece. I think customer choice is a real, real critical component. I think a lot of people like having choice, whether it's DIY, not DIY, whether it's powered, whether it's battery, whether it's solar. I think it's having sort of this core mission about making neighborhoods safer. I don't know of any of our competition that has a mission. I think there are competition that make cameras. I think there's competition that makes sensors. There's competition that make alarms. But I don't know that any of them truly stand behind a mission the way that we do. And, and like I said, that doesn't just end with ring putting cameras in neighborhoods. It, it goes all the way to the other side to rehabilitation. It goes to awesome. how we work with communities. It goes to how we do things with with charitable donations. And, and so it's sort of never ending on that side of it. And I think once you have that and you get a, you know, and you get a few thousand people who work for us around that, um, now you have something that's like this movable force. And I'm not going to say we're going to last forever. Like we also don't become complacent. Right. We don't sit back and rest our lawyers like, Hey, well, you know, we were, we were number one last year. Like, that's great. And instead we say, okay, how do we, how do we keep pushing forward for our customer? And if we do that in the right way, then, then we think we'll continue to make great things and do good stuff for our customers. So how, talk a little bit about your leadership style now, because of course you just mentioned it. You have ton, you have many, many engineers, designers, people working for you, trying to develop the new technology, the new products, the new models, you know, they're all working towards this mission. There's going to be a lot of ideas, a lot of things that you think are good ideas, but you can't do everything. What are some of the things you're focused on in terms of managing the amount of ideas, the talent that's going on through the, you know, through your offices right now, or I guess not offices, home computers. I don't know how you guys are communicating, but you know, yeah. <laughs> all those people that are helping you out and like, Hey, Josh, I got this idea. This is what I want to do. And you're like, okay, for sure. You know, I think as a, as a management style uh, and I, you know, there's no right, there's no one answer to this. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has different styles. 
personally, you know, I think I, I manage sort of with a, a balance of, of love and tension. And so I don't, I don't know any other way to describe it. I think, you know, I think my teams, I know you know, asking them would probably be best, but I think my team <laughs> tell you that they know I look out for their best interests and I love them all. And I appreciate everything they're doing. And more importantly, our customers appreciate it. On the other side of it, like, you know, there's, there's days I'm pretty pissed off and, and angry at things. So, you know, and I, I, I drop plenty of F-bombs and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and then we come together and try to solve. And so I think that that's a, it's a healthy balance that I try to attain with my team. I think appreciation always has to be there. I think that, and, and customer obsession has to be there, as I said, from the get-go. You know, as far as ideation and how you play ideation in, I mean, I think there's sort of philosophies around that and different companies do different things there. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a balance. I think that there's a sort of a larger vision that definitely comes from, from Jamie. Like he, he definitely drives the largest vision. And if you actually look at Jamie's title, although he's the CEO of the company, he actually lists himself as the chief inventor. And so it's sort of that, like from a cultural perspective, that's where it starts. And so, and then, but that's like, those are big ideas, right? And then it's, and then it comes down to great. How do we really implement what was just the big idea? And how do we do it in a way that scales? And how do we do it in a way that a third party partner can integrate with? How do we do it in a way that works across 10 cameras, not just one? And so that's where I think most of our team's innovation comes in. That being said, Amazon and Ring have a very similar culture around this, which is one of the exciting things, which is, 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 an, is a culture around encouraging that, right? Uh, at Amazon, it's, it's sort of this think big culture and people can submit ideas from the bottom all the way up to, you know, for Jeff or soon to be Andy. Yeah. And there's everything from awards to it, to, uh, you know, great readings on it and, and, you know, really a true excitement around new innovation. I mean, even just little things, I mean, I'll kind of show you here. I know you can't hear it on the podcast, but like, when you get a patent at Amazon, they send you these puzzle pieces. Okay. And they're kind of cool. And they're, they're pretty big, as you can see. Like, and so then, like, when you have a couple patents, I mean, I'm just kind of grabbing a couple off my desk. Like, now you get two puzzle pieces, and they connect together. And so there's things like this inside of Amazon and Ring that really do encourage innovation and invention. And so I think just from a pure just baseline culture, you know, we're all built off of that. As engineers, you like to take a blank canvas and build something. Um, and use your creative juices. Even though engineering isn't always thrown into the creative realm, I get frustrated when I hear that because I think I'm, I'm a pretty creative person. And, you know, I like to solve puzzles, but I also like to make the blue light spin on a ring doorbell. And so I think that's part of it. I think the other thing we do from a culture perspective is we truly are about, you know, getting things to market as quickly as possible at the highest quality. And, and I've always had a very simple sort of management style around this from an engineering perspective, which is engineers are relatively simple with what they want, right? They want the freedom to explore and try new things and to fail. But more equally important is they want as little friction as possible to get something out to production so that they can show their mom, brother, sister, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, grandma, grandmother, whatever it may be, and say, look, I'm the person that made that button sound. Yeah. And you're like, yes, that was amazing. That was the greatest sound I've ever heard in my life. And so I think like the, the more we can allow that to occur as engineering leaders, then we succeed. Well, you know, hitting on that point, that blue circle illuminating around is mostly synonymous, like on a computer screen, a load screen, which gives you the impression that something's slow. But I, I will admit that when I first touched the ring button, it, I thought it was thinking like I was like, oh, this thing is 
it's new and like in a positive way like it was different it was a different thing i was like i wasn't waiting on anything i was like what is it thinking about i was like this thing's alive yeah but look, you, you bring up a great point i mean I've, I've had these conversations a number of times on loading screens exactly you see the blue you see a spinning wheel whatever it is whether it's the mac yeah ball balloon exactly uh, or it's the blue spinning wheel and ring or it's you know i don't know whatever whatever product you want to look at and so, yeah, it's interesting how you, how you like, we do think to that level of detail for sure. And, and you make trade-offs, like how do you make the experience feel faster sometimes by removing those things, or do you keep them in on purpose because of some other reason? And so those are definitely discussions that occur. So there's two questions I, I have for you. One is, you know, I'm assuming this is a really tough challenge, but uh, what about when it comes to interoperability? Because, you know, as more technology is there, uh, you got more devices. You yourself have more ring devices, but then there's also there's people that don't like, you know, let's call it, they don't want to have just one vendor supplying everything, right? They have the different phones. They're going to have different applications. I see right now you all already in your website, you have categories that works with ring. Like it looks like you're working with dead, uh, deadbolt makers and, and so on. How do you think about interoperability? Is it like, because security is of course a big concern. Everyone wants this system to be impenetrable. But then it also has to interoperate with potentially other vendor applications and services. What is the process beyond that? Because that's pretty fascinating to me. I'm sure there's a lot of QA that has to happen. Yeah, um, and it makes it challenging. So first and foremost, I would say, and again, sort of top down, whether it's from Jamie or myself or even other leaders in Amazon, you know, we we really want to build transparent systems that allow people to have interoperability. Yeah. Uh, whether that works with Ring, whether that's the Alexa ecosystem. You know whether it's you know pick pick your other partnerships in there, and so I think that that's definitely tantamount to what we're building. We 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 build better systems when we force ourselves to integrate with others, and we expose new and exciting things. I think for our customers by doing that, and and sometimes it's stuff we think about. Deadbolts being a good example, like that's sort of a, a an easy obvious security one, right? And then you know and then you'll see stuff out there where like we'll do an integration with. Um, you know, Alexa, or if this, then that, or one of those type of things. And someone will go and turn on something you just never thought of. They'll make their sprinklers turn on when there's motion detected in their backyard. And you're like, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Like, okay, should we go work with Rakio and figure out how to do something, right? And then, and then there's some stuff that like, is it security or is it home safety? Where it's like, we just did an integration recently with a company called Flow that actually is meant to turn on and off water valves if they do leak detection. So it's not directly a security item, but it's a home safety item. That's amazing. If you have the water sensor with our ring alarm that does leak detection, we can now, in, in some automated ways, turn off that valve with flow. And it's one of those things, like no human being would have ever thought about that. But like when it comes together, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that is a better together story that we really want to embrace. And so, you know, we, we set out, we have APIs for developers. Uh, we have APIs we work with with other companies. Uh, we're always improving how those work and what we expose and what they expose into us and trying to make it easier to work within the ring systems, uh, trying to always make it faster. And you brought up security. How do we make sure it's bulletproof? Yeah. How do we quality assurance this? Because the, the variations of it become very difficult. Um, and so you have to have as much automated testing as you can. At the same time, you also want to try to build things that sort of have predictable inputs and outputs and rely on those things. And so I think that when you look at it from that perspective, it becomes a little easier. 
Um, and luckily, when you when you become the one of the bigger companies in the room, people are adhering to your specs more than you having to do theirs. But that's not always the case. We've had to build some custom things here, or there, both ways. You know, one of the other categories that I see here is like Ring for Business. I'm assuming like the footprints of Ring installations are going to continue to get bigger, wider, rely on larger networks to transport data. Do you see a place where Ring is, uh, or like, is it already happening where people are not securing their personal home? They're securing an office park. They're securing a neighborhood. They're securing big swaths of land and or building vertical building where now you're, you know, we already talked about interoperability, right? They have to possibly a different Wi-Fi signals, like different, <laughs> I don't know. There's tons of things in between. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing it. I mean, we do have a, an initiative we call Ring for Business. What I would say is we're in the nascent early stages on that. Yeah. Plenty of people that have installed these things in everything from small business, small office. So you take the dentist office or doctor's office that's using it almost as the either a gateway for who can come in the door with the buzzer system or even as a virtual receptionist. Sure. That, you know, we've seen that all the way to, you know, I've seen customers um, with hundreds of cameras around their warehouse, as you mentioned, sort of on the outside, looking at the parking lot or inside, you know, following the warehouses or whatever. So I think it is a mixture. What I would tell you is it is a long-term goal for us to help secure everything, right? It's not just neighborhoods. Neighborhoods is where we start. Yep. Neighborhoods becomes more than just your house, right? It becomes your neighbors. It becomes your place of work. It becomes your car. It becomes places you travel. And so the extent that we can expand our coverage to make you feel more secure in lots of places um, is super important to us. But we also want to keep it in mind that this is all around the customer driving these things. Um, it's not around you know, uh, big brother. It's not the business doing it. It's not, it's not necessarily the public safety in an area. It's not a neighborhood like camera that everyone in the world has access to. Like that's actually not our goal. Our goal is for these things to be driven by users and for the users to derive their use cases and how they want to use and share those things with, with their, their neighbor or neighborhood. Um, and so a great example is you bring up the neighborhood camera you know, it, it's one of those you kind of look at it first. You're like, hey, why doesn't Ring have like a general neighborhood camera? And and, it, and, and again, maybe we will one day. I can tell you right now it's not on our roadmap. But, but you know, we've looked at that and, and we, we understand the value of it from a neighbor, neighborhood perspective. But when you start digging into the details of the complexity of who has access to it and who can see the video and who can share the video and who owns the video and who provides the Wi-Fi and who provides the power, yeah, there's a lot of logistical problems around it. And so, you know, it's not that again we we've ignored it. We've just said we're gonna we're gonna put that on pause for now. There's so many areas that we can be successful in and help our customers feel safer um, that we do that. But yeah, Ring for Business will continue to grow and evolve over over the next few years. No, I mean, that's what I was getting at with, you know, when, the, when I was like super excited to have you on the show is the use cases, people keep introducing, like you just suggested, they keep introducing new use cases where you have to evaluate, hey, do we, is that where we're going to invest our time and energy or we're going to focus here? Um, it's pretty awesome hearing how you guys think about protecting people and neighborhoods and so on. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, definitely it's just, as I said, it's sort of ingrained in our culture that that's, that's, the, that's the ethos of what we're all about over here is how do we... How do we make those things safer? And so I think that that's, it's just sort of everything we do. I mean, as you probably know, you know, we have some, some new stuff coming out in the next year or so. Um, and I mentioned cars, we have a whole mobility line. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, inside outside cameras, it's car alarm type systems that'll tell you about break-ins. It's sort of a suite of products in that area. 
and you know, super excited about that because really, you know, you start looking at it like your home doesn't just stop at your doors, right? Yeah. Your home is your possessions. And so your car is actually one of the larger expenditures that you have as you, as everybody knows. Right. And so the more we can help protect that and protect your loved ones in that car, outside the car, your devices and things inside the car, um, and give you some peace of mind there. Obviously, we, we want to put that within the system. And so we're excited about those suite of products as well. Now, we look forward to seeing some of the innovation that's going to come out of Ring. Right now, Josh, it's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Josh, this is where we ask you questions about your life outside of Ring so that our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? I'm ready. All right. How many cameras are around your house right now? 10. I have 10 cameras that are that are turned on. I have probably more, as I said, but I have 10 turned on. <laughs> you mentioned yourself that you're quite a, a tinkerer, that like you play with and check out gizmos all the time and gadgets. What's a new piece of technology you've tried recently that you're like, wow, this is pretty cool? Uh, wow. I try so many different things. Uh, lightning round, I guess. You know, I'm a big fan of the iRobot stuff. I've got uh, two of the two of the uh, vacuums, and I've got one of the mops. Uh, I think they're they're awesome. Listen, when you were talking about the sprinkler thing, I was thinking to myself, man, Ring could develop a sensor that can then sense the grass. It could help if it can wa- help you water it. Why could it not send a signal to an iRobot? mower and get your grass cut as it got too tall too. That'd be, that'd be killer. (laughs) I'm sure we could. (laughs) So we looked it up on LinkedIn. It says you went to UCLA. Are you an actual sports fan? I am a very large Bruin fan. I, uh, the recent college basketball games were both uh, ridiculously fun to watch and heartbreaking. Uh, I was a season ticket holder for a very long time to basketball. I used to sleep out at night and camp out to get student section tickets. Uh, I am also a avid Los Angeles Kings hockey fan. Uh, hard to be in L.A. and not be a Dodger and Laker fan, uh, although I did grow up in San Diego. So it was always a little mixture for me being a Padre fan, converting to a Dodger fan. But, yes, I'm an avid sports fan. All my kids play sports. I still play sports. A uh, big part of our lives. All right. So you got to tell us. You've seen a lot of championships then being in Los Angeles. Uh, you've had a, you've had a run. No question about it. Uh, Los Angeles is always going to have good teams, although the Kings are down lately. What's your favorite sporting experience? Getting to see the Stanley Cup won twice at home. I mean, I was a season ticket holder. I actually still am there. So both myself and all of my family got to go to that. We have actually between me and my dad, we have seven seats. So we, we all got to experience it. There's nothing like seeing a, a championship in any sport, but especially at home for a team that you love. Uh, I would say second to that, you know, obviously the national championship UCLA won when I was there was fun, but I didn't get to physically be there. So that was a slightly different experience. And then the third one I'd say is I did get to see the Lakers win a championship against the Celtics not too long ago. And that was pretty exciting. All right. Yeah. A lot of fun. Listen, I'm a huge hockey fan. I still remember the year that Jonathan Quick basically stood on his head and won the Kings a cup. It was unbelievable. Everyone was going crazy. I've never seen people cheer for saves, but they were cheering for saves. Like this guy cannot be scored on. Yeah, it was incredible. I think he had 10 shutouts or something. It was, it was pretty well. <laughs> now, last question. UCLA is pretty infamous, I believe, for its underwear run. Is that right? <laughs> There's an underwear run? I've never participated, but I am familiar with what you're talking about. I don't know if UCLA is infamous for it, but yeah. Not not something I ever did. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Did you ever participate in that? <laughs> I, I did not. I did not. <laughs> well, Josh, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing how you manage the team, how your vision for the future at Ring, how you guys handle the process of developing and innovating products there. Uh, it was great to have you on the show, and thanks for sharing your story. 
Ken, thank you for having me and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Albert. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.